Pastor Xavier Reese. And the key to serving God isn't in your ability, but your availability. Notice Isaiah responded on the need by exercising his own free will. Then I said, Here am I. Send me. God will never violate our will or force us to do anything. God honors those who consciously and deliberately desire to serve God as He is working in their lives. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We tend to think of the authors of the books of the Bible as extraordinary giants of faith, but that's not necessarily how they would describe themselves. For example, Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners, and Isaiah as a man of unclean lips. But the simple truth is, God doesn't require anything more than a willing heart. So let's pick up the conclusion of our character study of the prophet Isaiah, demonstrating his eagerness to serve. The life of Isaiah will unfold for us by looking at it from three vantage points. Let's begin with Isaiah the man. First of all, Isaiah's name is significant. His name means Jehovah is salvation. His name represents the very heart of God towards his people and lost man. God is in the business of saving people. God is in the business of providing the power that's available to change your life if you don't know Him. There's no other power in the world that can change your life. The name was a sharp rebuke to the nation of Israel who were in a sinful condition. They were the people of God, yet they were in need of salvation. Secondly, we see Isaiah the man and his call. Now, turn to chapter 6, because that's where we find his call. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Notice first, the date is given to us, the year that King Uzziah died, 740 B.C. Now Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. And you find all of this in Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 3 beginning, and it moves on forward. Now Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem. He also engineered war machines and fortified them, Chronicles 26 tells us. Experts in war. He encouraged them in the Lord. But when he was strong in his heart, or just strong, he was lifted up 
in his heart to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord, and he burned incense at the altar of incense. Second Chronicles twenty six sixteen tells us. At times, good men who are called become inflated in their own estimation and think they can presume and even abuse their authority without any accountability to anyone. That's wrong. And though God may not act immediately, it is folly to think that God approves of it. Or worse yet, that God will not bring them into judgment for it. At times, God has to remove such men as He sovereignly chooses. Isaiah could have been in the way of God, as the people had their eyes on him, not depending on God. He's such a great king. Who cares if he burn incense? Leave him as king. Who cares if he messed around? Let him be president. Really? Hmm. Very possibly, Isaiah was removed because he was in the way of God. People had their eyes on him. Very possibly. Notice the vision is described in detail. He saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up and the train did fill his temple, the robe. The vision takes place while a person is awake. A dream while he's asleep. There's a distinction. God was sitting. Notice all was under control. Now, Uzziah, in the year Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was sitting in the temple. Everything was under control. He was not anxious over the death of Uzziah, as perhaps some of the people were. Perhaps even Isaiah. Notice he saw seraphim also. Seraphim are an order of angels. Notice seraphim have six wings. With two they cover their face, two their feet, two they fly. In contrast, cherubim have two and four wings. The two-winged cherub are seen in the tabernacle in the mercy seat in Exodus 25.19 and in 1 Kings 6.24. Two-winged. The four-winged cherub or cherubim are seen in the vision of Ezekiel. Remember Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 11 and also verse 23? Interesting creatures. Notice the things heard and the things seen were clearly understood. The seraphim declared that God was holy three times. Most people believe that it's in reference to the Trinity in heaven. Holy, holy, holy. We find it three times. Many things we find three times, not four. <laughs> the seraphim declared that the entire earth is full of the glory of God. His glory. The vision seen by the prophet of God in the angelic host is interpreted for us by John the Beloved. Do you know that? In John's gospel, in chapter 12, verse 41, he says that Isaiah saw Jesus right here in chapter 6. That's who he saw. Let me read that for you. 
John 12, 41. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. And that's in reference to Jesus. That's the context. Isaiah saw his own unworthiness and sinfulness before a holy God. Then I said, woe is me, for I am undone, literally destroyed or cut off. Every time I see men in the Bible who encounter God, whether it be through a theophany, an appearance of God, whether it be a cloud, a pillar of fire, some visible form to give evidence that God is present. They're on their faces. They have this sense of unworthiness before one who is greater than they. Categorically, Old and New Testament. Now, I've turned on the TV on Channel 40, and I see some of these crackerjack preachers. And I've heard them with my own ears said that Jesus appeared to one, as a matter of fact, while he was shaving. And he started conversing with the Lord as he continued shaving. And everybody's going, ooh, ah. All you've got to do is know the word of God and know that that man is a liar. He's fortunate he didn't slice his own throat. If that was Jesus, he would have been on his face. He wouldn't have continued shaving. Isaiah, woe is me for I'm undone. Literally destroyed or cut off. This is the proper response when you see God. Isaiah saw himself a sinner in all humanity. But I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. I've got a dirty mouth. And it's connected to a dirty heart. <laughs> and so with all the people around me. He saw himself as a sinner, and he saw himself as one among many sinners. That's good. That's always a proper perspective when you truly see God. This is the recognition of being poor in spirit that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.3. That's the very foundation. This acknowledgement is the first of the Beatitudes and the very foundation of godly repentance. Recognizing one's bankruptcy before a holy God. We come as we are, dead in trespasses and sins, unworthy. Notice Isaiah saw the captain of the armies of heaven, he declares also. The phrase, the Lord of hosts, is a favorite one in the Old Testament. The Lord of hosts means the captain of the armies of heaven. When you read that phrase, you know God's going to do some fighting, some defending, some judging. Every time you hear that phrase, that's exactly what it's referring to. The context will be very, very evident. Now notice in verse 6 and 7, the preparation of Isaiah for his call is recorded. The mediator used was a seraphim who dwelt in the presence of the holy God. In verse 7, the message was Isaiah's sin was purged, literally atoned. The word is kofar, which means to cover. It was an IOU to the true payment to come, Jesus Christ. Atonement in the Old Testament is a cover. Atonement in the New Testament is a payment in full. Notice secondly in verse 8, Isaiah's call was a choice to be accepted. 
Isaiah, being purged of his sin, was able to hear the voice of God for his life now. That's always a process. Until my sin is purged, I cannot hear the voice of God. It's like trying to talk on a phone that the line's been cut. You can talk on one end and deceive me thinking that you're talking to somebody, but you know you're not talking to anybody until you get those wires together. Alas, I heard the voice of the Lord saying. Now he could hear God. Secondly, Isaiah heard the conversation in heaven. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? The call was not directed to Isaiah at this point. Did you ever notice that? The need was merely revealed to him. It wasn't even a conversation between God and Isaiah. Isaiah was eavesdropping. The conversation is between the Trinity and heaven. By the very use of the personal pronoun us, which is found in Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image. Let us go down. It's the Trinity in heaven. You see, the Lord is looking for men and women to respond to the needs of God. Not so much the needs of God, but the, the needs that God reveals. In order to show himself strong and affirm a person's call. Listen to Second Chronicles 16.9. Not as Asa who had trusted in the king of Syria. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro without the whole earth. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on you shall have wars. And he's talking to Asa. Asa trusted in the king of Syria instead of the arm of the Lord. God is looking to and fro to see if, if you will be an eavesdropper on God's conversations. And as he reveals needs that you would say, I'll go. Send me. <laughs> but too often I think we say, oh, get out of here before they ask us to do something. <laughs> or people call me. They come across them and say, you know, I ran across this person and they, 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 they need some food. We're wondering if you can help them. What? Well, God sent them to you. What are you calling me for? You give them some food. God wants to bless you. Oh, but you see, you don't understand. I don't have... Oh, you mean it's going to cost you? Oh, that's different. Okay, send them down here. <laughs> Notice Isaiah responded on the need by exercising his own free will. Then I said, Here am I. Send me. God will never violate our will or force us to do anything. Have you noticed that? God honors those who consciously and deliberately desire to serve God as He is working in their lives. The man Isaiah was believed to be in the temple at this time where the vision took place. Which is very, very significant if that be so. And I believe it probably is. First, he was one who was obedient to gather in the place where God's people did. It's no coincidence. Secondly, he was already a child of God, an Israelite. Too often, I believe people do not hear the voice of God. And it is because they are not with the people of God on a consistent, regular basis in the church. They come in once a week, once every two weeks. Once a month, or whenever they're in trouble, whichever comes first. Now, 
Am I saying that if you're not in church, God cannot speak to you? I am not saying that. Not that God does not, nor can He speak to you or call you apart from the place of the church. But let's get serious. If you are not being obedient to the things that are clearly written in the Word, the simplest of which is to not forsake the gathering of the saints as the manner of some is. If you're not obedient to being consistent on gathering God's people, do you really believe that you would obey God's voice on some great call? It begins with simple obedience on what is revealed in the scripture. It's real simple, people. But you and I have to be somewhere involved. And we have to be plugged in so we can be being fed, growing, and developing. And so I think the fact that he was in the temple is very key here. Very key. This was Isaiah, the man, and his call. That leaves us with just Isaiah, the man, and his ministry. First, Isaiah's time was a reason for his call to the specific ministry. The northern kingdom, as we said, had been living under gross idolatry. And for 200 years, this had taken place since the division of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. The prophets of God had been sent, as we said, in the northern kingdom. You have there Hosea and Amos and Isaiah there in the southern kingdom. Later on, another minor prophet in the northern kingdom went into captivity in 722 by Assyria. The northern kingdom of Judah had experienced much prosperity also through Uzziah and Jeroboam II, which was the northern kingdom king. Uzziah had strengthened the military, as we've noted. He encouraged them. He, uh, he, he had great commerce through the uh, flourishing commerce of Elath and the Red Sea, um, the port city there. They had a proud sense of security that overshadowed the people. Idolatry, social injustice, moral degeneracy, and spiritual hypocrisy had overcome the nation. The tendency to trust in Egypt and others rather than the Lord was a constant charge against them, which constituted unfaithfulness to them against God, their husband. The scope of Isaiah's prophetic days were not limited to Israel, as we will see. But the nations of the world were confronted and addressed, Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, and others. The time of Isaiah's prophecies contained some of the most detailed prophecies regarding the Messiah. The time of Isaiah reveals also the church. The church to come comprised of Jew and Gentile. So the scope of Isaiah is vast. Incredible. Now secondly, Isaiah's ministry lasted through four kings. You get this in the first beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, where the four kings are mentioned. The ministry was regarding Judah and Jerusalem. And the first king was Uzziah, as we have already touched on. And um, he reigned for 52 years. The second king was Jothan. Uh, he was a good king, and he reigned for 16 years. And you find that in Second Chronicles 27.1. And the third king was Ahaz, who was a bad king. And in fact, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, worshiping the Baals, and made his children to pass through the fire in the worship of Molech. 
And he reigned for 16 years. Second Chronicles 28, 1-3 tells us. And the fourth king of Kor, Hezekiah, and he was a good king, and he reigned for 59 years. Second Chronicles 29, 1 tells us that. He removed all that opposed the worship of God. High places, all the teraphims, all the imagery, all the groves. Even the bronze serpent that they were worshiping that God had used through Moses to heal those who had, were bitten by the snake. Hezekiah was a man of faith, trusting God. He laid, led great reforms, but they were superficial. The people were not sincere. You find that in Second Kings chapter 18 to 20. But thirdly, Isaiah's ministry was from the Lord, not his own. That's so important. Turn back with chapter 6. Verse 9 through 13. And it's real quick here. Notice here first, in verse 9. Isaiah was sent by God to speak to the people. Go and tell the people. Isaiah was being sent, notice, to a spiritually deaf and intellectual minded people. How can that be? The measure of success of a man's ministry is not based on how many people respond or don't respond. But on your obedience to the call of God. That's success. The people were the people of God who had the greatest privilege from God, but they had become indifferent and worldly. Notice thirdly, Isaiah was to proclaim the word of God, which would in effect create greater deafness and greater blindness and greater dullness of perception. Verse 10. Now, a little note, John in John 12, 39 and 40 quotes these very passages in verse 10 in fulfillment of the ministry of Jesus to Israel. The prophecy can be misunderstood as if God is the one doing the deafening or the blinding or the lack of perception. But then he would be unjust. What does it mean? Jesus gave the emphasis and the meaning on that as, he, as that's quoted in the, in the Gospels. That means that the proclamation of the word of God to a spiritually deaf people, if they're not open to the word of God, that privilege falls as judgment and their blindness becomes worse, their deafness becomes worse. And their perception becomes worse. Your heart gets harder. Notice fourthly, Isaiah was to carry out his own ministry till the nation went into captivity. Verse 11 and 12. Isaiah asked how long. God answered him. Till the devastation in three ways. Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitants. Until the houses are without a man. Until the land is utterly desolate. Notice the people in the land, they go together. That settles who owns the land. <laughs> the Jews own it. The Lord would be the one to do this. And for that reason, He declared it before it happened. So when it happened, they would know it to be God. Verse 12. He would remove them far away. The northern kingdom to Assyria. The kingdom of Judah to Babylon. The desolation of the land would be what? Great. And notice lastly here in verse 13. Isaiah was to declare that there would be a remnant to return. A tenth would return to the land. A mental picture there, provided of the metaphor of a stump, of a tree cut down. The holy seed is identified to be what? The stump, the tenth part of the nation. Isaiah himself lived to be an old age. Faithful man, but he prophesied for 40 years, and Manasseh the king cut him in two for his godliness. The Jewish Mishnah tells us that. Justin Martyr attested that in 150 AD. What a man. This was Isaiah the man and his ministry. Here you have the life of Isaiah unfolded through these three perspectives and vantage points. Isaiah the man, Isaiah the man and his call, 
and Isaiah the man and his ministry. He's quite a man. Pastor Xavier Reese, taking us all the way to the end of the life and ministry of Isaiah to close out for today. But he'll be back next time with a more detailed look at the book of prophecies, both fulfilled and yet to be, that is Isaiah. But with just enough time before we close for today, let me mention that copies of today's study titled Isaiah Part 1 are available on CD for only $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Isaiah Part 1, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com